0: So the last few weeks, we've been talking about things in our lives that we need to put into practice, things that we know to be true, and yet we may not be fully integrating into our lives like we should be. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've talked about um, different things like forgiving other people and the benefits that we actually receive from that and what God's Word says about that, about living generously. We've talked about um, sharing our faith with other people, and this week, what we've come to is something that our country in particular is not good at. If you remember, we're, we're using uh, a verse from James to kind of be the verse that we use throughout the entire series to remind us that it's not enough just to hear the word or to know the word of God, that we must be putting it into practice. So it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James 1.22. And the key idea that we've had this whole time is that application is everything. That application is what really matters in life. It's not just what you know or what you've heard, but it's how you apply it. To illustrate today's, here's what I want to do. I want to use this machine here to illustrate what happens when we don't follow this application. Now, um, somebody asked me if I was getting on this thing, and I said no. I need a volunteer to get on this thing. I got any volunteers? Okay, Josh, thanks. Come on. Josh just happens to be dressed for the occasion, Isn't that' pretty amazing. He, that's somebody said, "Are you getting on?" I said, "That's what we have interns for." All right. So, Josh, this is Josh McMillan. Everybody say hi, Josh. Josh has been with us for uh, a a little over a month and a half or so, somewhere around there. He's working with our kids. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to get Josh up on the treadmill, and I'm going to put the speed at just kind of a normal level. Is it on here? There we go. There it goes. You hear it going, right? So we're just going to be at a nice, calm pace. Now, Josh here is 25 years old, all right? So he has life in front of him. Everything is available to him, and life's going to start coming at him pretty soon, all right? Now, Josh has worked with us as an intern this summer, but his real job is being a teacher. And there is nothing that symbolizes being a teacher like an apple, right? And so we're going to give Josh an apple just to, By the way, he's looking for a job. If you know any good teaching jobs around, uh, you can let him know. He's looking for a job. So he's going to be a teacher, and, and you, you may not know this about Josh, but he's engaged. And uh, he's got a fiancé. They're going to get married in February, and... Uh, I just happen to have a couple of pictures of his fiance up here. Here's a picture of her with Starbucks, and this is a picture of her and Josh together. I know you can't see that, but everybody just go, aw. Oh. All right, that's, and we don't want to, it's, you know, this is going to be part of his responsibility. His life kind of starts coming at him, and um, things are going to happen. She's not going to be real happy if they uh, don't have a place to live, right? And so Josh and Lydia, that's his fiance's name, they're going to buy a house, but the reality is he's 25, and he doesn't have a lot of money. All right? So the bank is actually going to buy the house. And the part of it he's actually going to own with his own money are two bricks. All right? And so he's going to have these two bricks, and that's his, his house. And um, they're going to have to eat. And so, I mean, it may not be healthy. They're going to have some stuff. And so here's some McDonald's stuff. You need to make sure you eat healthy. And they want kids. And here's the amazing thing about what God's going to do for him. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just, you're not supposed to be dropping. What are, you, what are you, Okay, you haven't got the job yet. He's... <laughs> all right? So, I'm about to hand you things you don't drop, all right? So, God blesses them, and they have twins, all right? Now, here's the thing. They don't have enough money to dress both of them, so they just dress one of them, all right? And so, you got twins. And a couple of years down the line, they have twins, and then they decide, well, we're good with that. But we, we, uh, we feel the call of God to adopt internationally. And so, they... They adopt a child um, from a foreign country, and so um, they, they've got three kids, and uh, they, they want to make sure they, they raise these kids correctly so they, um, they, they go to church, which they ought to do. And not just, they're just not kind of involved. They're really involved, and that's why they've got the big uh, MacArthur study Bible here that he's going to carry with him at all times. And and Josh doesn't play golf right now, um, but he will. They're just... Uh, That's what's going to happen, and uh, along with all of these things that are going to happen, as he grows, he's going to come to the realization of the teams that God endorses, and so he's going to be a Cardinals fan and a Tennessee Volunteer fan, all right? And so uh, he's got all this going on here, and uh, all right, everything's good. Here's the problem, though. Life doesn't go at this pace, does it? Does it go at this pace, those of you out there? All right, so, so what do I need to do to simulate what life is like? You, you want me to go just a little bit, or you want me to crank it up on him? Crank it up. Y'all are so kind. All right. So here's the thing. As life begins to move, it's going to start getting faster and faster and faster. We're up in the uh, aerobic section here. We're about to go to the performance section. It just gets faster and faster and faster, all right? And eventually, eventually, life is going to get the best of Josh McMillan at this pace. Maybe you're determined, right? (laughs) All right, we're going to crank it back down. Thanks, Josh. He did that for two services, all right? In the first service, he fell off, though. It was much more dramatic, all right? And I I heard rumors that in the meantime between services we had a particular guitar player who will remain nameless but who likes to do windmills on stage um, Decide he wanted to play some air guitar on it and he got thrown off as well. And I just I wasn't in here for that. But the point of all that is this. Sometimes we have all that stuff in life and it's manageable. But when we don't stop and go at a pace that is sustainable eventually we're going to lose some stuff. Eventually, it's going to be too much. Now, y'all don't know this, or some of you don't, but Josh is a big-time runner. He's got one of those 26. Have you done 26.2? He's got a 26.2 sticker on the back. You know what that is? It means he's run a marathon, right? But even at that pace, he couldn't go for real long, okay? And we live in a country where it almost seems like we're competing to see who can run at a faster pace. And it brings us to an understanding that a biblical understanding of the pace of life means that part of your life has to be rest. Part of what you have to be about is rest. We are a nation of exhausted people. We are constantly Tempted to live at a pace that is unsustainable. It's robbing us of our joy. It's robbing us emotionally. It's robbing our relationships. It's robbing our spiritual lives. Now, when I say rest, some of you are going to push back and I go, Pastor, I would do that, but there is no way I can do that. Some of you think, well, that sounds like good stuff, but i got too much on my plate. Some of you said, I would do it all the time if I could. Today, what I'm going to ask you to do is to fight for the ability to rest. Take out your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to look today at two examples. One that didn't do it well and had to learn his lesson. And then another that, that understood what it means to rest in the Lord. We're going to talk about what rest is and what rest is not as well. In chapter 19 of the book of 1 Kings, we have a story of one of my uh, my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, I really like the character of Elijah. In fact, I like the name Elijah so much and the character of Elijah so much that we named one of our sons uh, Elijah. Um, And here's part of the reason. I love his name. Elijah, the name means the Lord is my God. And Susan and I, many of you know our story. We're told by doctors. We didn't know if we'd ever have kids on our own. We didn't know if we'd be able to have children. And Elijah, for us, was a declaration from our hearts that the Lord is our God, and we will trust Him no matter what. And so you have this great prophet of God. And in chapter 18, you have one of the most um, Sunday school-ready, exciting stories in all of the Bible. And in chapter 18, you've got that that... that picture of Elijah up on Mount Carmel and he's up on Mount Carmel and he's there and he's fighting against 400 prophets of Baal. It is one versus 400. All right. I remember growing up, my dad used to like those war movies where it would end up being one guy against a whole group like Rambo. Right. And it seems so improbable. Well, you've got Elijah one against 400. And he's standing there and he says to them, basically, listen, you think your God is Baal and you think he's right. I believe my God is right. Let's just have a showdown. Let's have a power encounter. That's what people today call it. My God versus your God. And let the true God win. And so. Elijah gets them all around, and he says, I'll let you go first. I'm not worried about it. You go first. And so the prophets of Baal get it, and they cry out, and they they chant, and they pray, and they call on their God, and they say, come on, come in fire, show us your power, and nothing happens. And Elijah is kind of just over there watching and starts taunting them, starts trash-talking, saying things like, what's wrong? Is he... Is your God asleep right now? What's happening? Did he have to step out for a minute? When's he going to be back? Let me know when your God's ready to show up. He even uses some language that they gloss over in the NIV or in modern translations. But he basically says, is your God in the restroom right now? Is that what's going on? And over and over, nothing happens. And he says, all right, you've had yours, it's my turn. And he got out and he said, I don't want to make this easy, though. Douse it with water, soak it with water, get it completely wet. And then, and only then, will I call on my God. And in chapter 18, if you're in chapter 19, just look back in chapter 18 for a second. Verse 36. It says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. And this is all he says. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. I am your servant. I've done all these things in your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. In verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It's almost a play on Elijah's name. The Lord is my God. This is the Lord. He is God. They seize all the prophets of Baal. They don't let any get away. And then they kill him. It is one of the most significant victories for the Lord in the entire Old Testament. And Elijah is the personal envoy, ambassador, delegate of God who is there to witness the power. It tells us, in the background of the story is there had been a drought in the land. It had been going on for a long time. And he tells Ahab, he sees all this going, he goes, by the way, the storm clouds are rolling in and rain is about to come. Look at chapter 19. Ahab, that's the king, told Jezebel, just sounds like a fun name, doesn't it? Jezebel. He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. All that in a nutshell, what does she say? Elijah, you're dead. I'm coming to kill you. Now, here's Elijah, the prophet of God, the mighty man that called fire from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice. The man that stood toe to toe, face to face with four hundred prophets of Baal who had his life threatened by them and said, I am not wavering one bit. He is standing here. He gets the message from her. And the thing we expect to hear is tell her to bring it on. But what does he say? He didn't say anything. He runs. He runs. It says he was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He was crossing from one area into another. And he basically said, you're done. I'm done. We're finished. Then, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. The actual translation of the next phrase is, I am weary unto death. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he laid down under the tree and went to sleep. There are a lot of people that ask the question, how in the world did Elijah go in chapter 18 from being world beater? I'm going to do whatever the Lord asks me. I'm going up against 400 prophets of Baal to the guy that's running away from Jezebel. And there are a lot of probably answers that go into the mix. It's no one thing. But let me tell you one thing that I think is definitely a part of it, and we'll see why in a minute. He was just tired. He was worn out. Any of you ever had one of those I'm done moments? You ever had that? Any of you that are parents ever seen your kids with the I'm done moments? Some of you say, if you keep talking much longer, my kids are going to have one right now, right? You know, you ever seen that? You know, The tantrum starts or the crying or the, you know. How many of you have had one of those I'm done moments? Let me just see. All right. Let me tell you about one of mine, okay? Um, a couple of weeks ago, it was uh, I mentioned it was Luke's birthday a couple of weeks ago, and we did his birthday party on a Sunday afternoon. And I don't know whether you've noticed this or not, but it's hot. Anybody notice that? I mean, not kind of like kind of hot, not like a little hot, like it's hot, all right? And that day, we, we, we uh, you know, as a pastor, the, the perfect day to plan a party is Sunday afternoon. And so I, we came after the after the service. We went home. We got everything together. It, it was a great day. We had people come, and it was going to be a great party. We came by here. Susan dropped me off because she had to pick up some other things for the party. And so I came and decided I would get everything set up. So I'm getting everything set up. I'm working on it. We, we uh, have one of those inflatable um, water slides that um, we, we looked online to rent one. It was ridiculous. And so... We found one cheaper than we would have rented, so we've got our own. It's, it's not like the big ones, but it's it's nice. And so we put that out there. I'm getting that set up, I'm getting the water going, trying to get the hose out and all that. And here's the thing: the party started at four o'clock, and um, I started about two thirty to three. By four o'clock, um, Kevin didn't tell me this till later, but Kevin showed up and said, "You were red, like, like really red." I was like, "I was yeah, I was, I was." Just, Hot, all right. But it's four o'clock, and guess what? It's Luke's birthday. I'm the host, and so what do you do when you're a host of a party? You, you party, you host it, right? And so we're doing the games, and we're helping the kids, and we're getting the food. And oh, I forgot to tell you, we were cooking hot dogs, and so we cooked hot dogs for the party. And um, of course, the most logical thing in a 115 degree heat index is to build a fire. That's what you ought to be doing. And so I built a fire. The, The the grill was so hot that I. Put a hot dog on it, walked over a few steps to get a plate that I could put the hot dogs on. Walked back and half the hot dog was gone. It was charred. It was black. It was just like unusable. And I was I, I was gone like for fifteen twenty. I mean, it's not like I left it on there for five minutes. I mean, it was bla- I mean fire coming everywhere. And so we do the party. It's a great party. Great, you know, good time with friends, family. Um, just had a great time. And so everybody gets in their cars and their leaves, and then what do I realize? I've got to clean up. And so we're cleaning up, and we're, I'm folding up the, uh, uh, the... See, here's the thing about those water slots. They keep water in them. And you've got to get the water off, and you've got to deflate it, and you get the water, and you inflate it, and you deflate it, and you roll it up, and you press it down, and you roll it up. And there's, of course, the box it came in is about this big. And so we've got one of those big Rubbermaid crates, and it doesn't even fit in that anymore. And so we're pressing it down, and I'm sticking it in. And When I got done, I was done. You been there? Now, sometimes it's physical like that, but sometimes it's emotional or mental when you just say, I'm done. Elijah was at the point of being done and we get a valuable lesson on how to handle that from what happens next first of all notice what he does he lays down under a tree and fell asleep now I know it was a different day and time back then but it takes a lot for me to be tired enough to just lay down under a tree and fall asleep he goes out all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat he looked around there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water here's what I love about that The angel didn't make him walk over to a table to get it. Where's the food placed? Where does it say the food is? It's right by his head. He just sticks a hand out and there's food there, all right? So he eats and so he's revived. What does he do again? He ate and he drank and then he went back to bed, all right? Some of you are saying, amen. Let's keep going, all right? Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up, eat, the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that fruit, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. And before God appears to him, he again goes into the cave and he goes to sleep. Here's what is important to understand. God could have very easily said to Elijah, Just get up. Just get up. But he realizes that Elijah needs rest. So he lets him sleep, wakes him up, gives him some food, lets him sleep, wakes him up, gives him some food, tells him where to go. He finishes his journey. He gets there and he says, rest. Somehow, we've got this idea in our mind that resting has become unspiritual. Now, we're going to talk in a moment about why we need it. But the truth is, we all need our rest. Two reasons why. The first reason is we just need it physically. We just have to have rest physically. Here's an interesting thing I saw. According to studies, the average American loses an hour of sleep they need every night. Now, I'm saying it's the average American. I know some of you out there are like, man, I can go on like three and a half hours of sleep. I'm good. And there's some of you out there, if I don't get 15 hours of sleep, I'm not good. All right? Maybe not 15, but... 10, 11, all right? The average American loses an hour of sleep every night. Now, let's just do some math real quickly. One hour a day is how many hours a week? Seven, very good. It's like you're in math class. Like, I think that's the answer, but is he tricking me, all right? So one hour a day is seven hours in a week. Now, here's a really hard one. How many hours is that in a year? 365, all right. Y'all didn't know you are going to be quizzed on how many days there are in a year. All right. 365. Now, if you just take that, divide it by 24, you don't have to do that in your head. All right. It comes out to about 15 days. 24 hours a day. So think of this. Every year, the average American loses 15 days of sleep. Now, let me just ask you a question. If, let's just say, you stayed up for 15 straight days. Do you think you would get mad a little more quickly? Do you think you would be a little more grumpy? Some of you spouses are going, if they get more grumpy, I don't know what's going to happen, all right? It, that just happens. And we're constantly losing sleep. Now, it is true that our bodies are, are gauged differently, but on the whole, we're losing that much. But we don't just need it physically. We need it spiritually. We cannot enjoy what God has intended for us to do or to be without taking time to reflect and recharge and renew ourselves with him. Turn with me over to the book of Matthew. It's the last place I'm going to have you turn. Matthew chapter 14. And what we see here is the pattern that Jesus had in having a sustainable life. His pattern was that he would engage in ministry and we had spent himself. He would pull away from ministry, recharge, spend time with the father and then re-engage. Now, in Matthew chapter 14, right before verse 22, a kind of important event happened. What, what does it say? You also have your Bibles open. What happened right before Verse 22. He fed the 5,000, right? He took some loaves and some fish, and he fed 5,000 people. Now, not in this account specifically, but in the other accounts, it tells us that when he did that, they were ready to make him king. That it says the people were ready for him to be king at that moment, and they were ready to keep going. And most people would say, well, you've got to catalyze. You've got to jump on. You've got to get with that momentum and keep going. If you've got people that are ready to follow you wherever you want to go, that's the time to put the pedal to the metal and get going. And Jesus instead says, nope, I'm going to pause. Verse 22, it said immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat, going ahead of him, and then he dismissed the crowd. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them. Now, understand, this was a long day. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And when he was there, he was alone. Jesus realized that without pulling away and re-engaging the Father, he was going to lose out, wear out, burn out. I really just have one question that I want to ask you, and then I'm going to give you some, some things I want you to think about doing. Is the pace you're living your life right now sustainable? Now, for some of you, you say, absolutely, it's summer. If I had summer all year long, I'd be great. But that's not what I'm talking about. School's getting ready to get back in session, right? As teachers and students groan, that's what's happening. And parents rejoice, right? And we end up putting ourselves all this stuff, and we don't leave any room in our life. So here's what I want you to think about. And it's important not only for our spiritual lives just with the Lord, but it's important for our families as well. They recently polled a 1,000 young people from 3rd to 12th grade and asked them, what do you wish you could do for your parents? What's the one thing you wish could happen for your parents? And most parents thought, well, the kids are going to say they want to spend more time with me or they want more stuff from me. They want us to be richer. Over half of the kids from 3rd to 12th grade polled said the one thing they wanted from their parents was that their parents would be less tired. Over half. So here's some things. Following the pattern of Jesus who engaged fully when he was there, pulled away, recharged, and then re-engaged. Let me give you four suggestions. First of all, plan in the very near future, like this week, a 24-hour Sabbath. From technology. 24 hours from technology. Email. Phone. Computers. Planet. As a part of that. Just in general in life. Watch your interaction with technology at all hours of the day. You know the the study that. uh, There's a study that came out recently. And found that. For people under 40 years old, the first activity they do every morning is check their phone. The large majority. Before they get out of bed. And that is terrible, except that I'm one of them. Anybody else here do that? Confess? All right? See those hands? Okay. And, now I don't do this necessarily, the last thing they do before they go to bed is check their phones, check their computer. Now, here's the interesting thing. There's a new trend starting. That's been going on for like a year and a half now, okay? That's that's not new. What's new is they're finding out people are waking up multiple times in the night and looking at it. Now, really, if you're getting an email at 2.30 in the morning, how important is the email? How important is Groupon's next saving thing today, all right? Here's another thing they've discovered. How many of you have LCD, plasma TVs, computer screens, any of that in your house? Yeah, all right. I'm not getting on to you for that, all right? I got them too. They're not good for sleep. Some people like to sleep with TVs on and that kind of stuff. Apparently, even watching them before you go to sleep, I just found this study this morning and it's heartbreaking, all right, is not good for your sleep. It's better to turn it off, take some time to relax. It makes your brain function in a different way. I don't know if you know this or not, but those TVs and the Internet are rewiring our brains. So if you like science fiction stuff, go write a novel about that. All right. So take a 24 hour Sabbath and think about how you use that stuff in your life. Second thing, have a real discussion with your spouse and your family about the pace of life you have. About work hours and hours at home and whether you feel rushed all the time. Whether it's like, we just got to do this, do this, do this and there's no real kind of relaxing. And then here's the last thing. Plan some sort of significant rest on a regular basis. I didn't use the word vacation on purpose because sometimes vacations are worse than regular life. Amen? Right on, right? That's just the way it is. You go on vacation, you come back, and you're like, boy, I am glad we are home. All right? So, significant rest. Uh, The last, uh, first part of this week, Susan and I were offered with the family to have the opportunity to go to a house on the river, Tennessee River. And uh, it was Tuesday morning, and we were there. We got there Monday, and we spent Monday night. And Tuesday morning... Um, I was sitting there, and uh, they—it was just you know—it was that time when the kids were starting to wake up, but they weren't really—they um, well, weren't wild yet. All right, they, they're just waking up. Okay, so they're in there and they're getting some some breakfast together, and Susan's dad is there, so he's helping take care of them. And and uh, I walked outside, and there's nobody on the river. It's calm as can be. The sun has just come up recently. It's not hot yet, and there's a breeze blowing on this deck that's looking out over the river i pulled out some devotional stuff and i started to read it and i just felt this connection with the lord uh, and I, I don't know there's no way really to describe it some of you have experienced it there was just a connection with the lord there and i i remember just kind of thinking in my mind as i'm doing that I go, man why didn't this kind of thing happen at my house and the lord put this impression on me that was as clear as day he said because you don't have this at your house You don't have this porch looking out over the river. You don't have the breeze blowing in. You don't have this day when you don't have tons of things to get done right now. And then I just felt this kind of call from the Lord. said, that's why you need times to just pull away and relax. Now, pulling away and relaxing does not necessarily mean that you just sleep all the time. You have to include in that intentional reconnection with the Lord. So think of how you can intentionally seek out the Lord. Jesus didn't pull away just to pull away. It says he went to a mountainside by himself to pray. So let me ask you this question. Is the pace you're living life right now sustainable? When... And I'm not talking about on your lightest day. Well, you know, last week I had a day where I didn't do anything much. And yeah, I'm talking about on a normal day. And are you taking the time you need for you and your family and your relationship with the Lord to rest and recharge in Him?